0: We're going to continue on in Mark. Last week, if you were here, uh, we went through three episodes in Mark. Same thing this week. We have three scenes. Last week, we talked about how Jesus reveals God's heart. You remember this? And we talked about how he reveals His uh, God's heart of compassion to the leper, his heart of forgiveness to the paralytic, and his heart of mercy to Levi and the tax collectors. And last week ended with Jesus' kind of feasting with the tax collector crew, and those guys would have looked, been looked down upon by Israel's religious leaders, uh, the elite, and so we're getting a picture here of Jesus' radical welcome uh, to the outsider, uh, to those that the rest of society has perhaps turned their back on. And folks, the, the thing we ended with was the, the thought that this is each of us, Jesus has welcomed all of us to his table, regardless of our pasts. We've been welcomed home in him. And you can know the forgiveness and grace and the mercy of God uh, by coming into faith in relationship with Jesus, which is fantastic. And so we get this picture of this sort of upward trajectory of people responding to Jesus, uh, where we seeing compassion and healing and forgiveness, and now this great welcome, is kind of coming home together. Uh, picture of God's love and his life. Really, really good. This week we're going to get, uh, Mark's going to show us the opposite direction. So, where last week we had people responding to Jesus and it's going great and it ends with this big kind of house party, right? This, this week uh, we get three scenes again, but this time we're going to get into the heads of the Pharisees. And we discover uh, that rather than opening our hearts to embrace the life of God, there's another option. The option is to be like the Pharisee, and the Pharisees will illustrate a growing rejection to Jesus, so much so uh, that by the end of the section, rather than being at a uh, banquet with Jesus, these guys are in a meeting to figure out how to kill him. It's the exact opposite place uh, that, the, that the the Levite tax collectors end up And so this passage that we have this morning is going to be two things we're going to see Again, the life-giving grace and welcome of God, comes for each and every one of us, which is better than any of us could really imagine. But we're also going to see the hardness of the human heart. The hardness of the human heart as a result of our sin and our own bitterness and our own striving, which is actually worse than most of us can probably imagine. So we have three short episodes here. We have the fasting debates. Uh, that's verse 18 to the, uh, what is it? 22, and then we have the Sabbath-keeping episode, which is 23 to the end of the chapter, and then the first six verses of chapter three is the third episode, that's the healing of the mouth of the day. And all of these show the life and joy of relationship with God in contrast with the human heart, okay? And in each of these, this is the, the thing for us to think about this morning, the thing that's at stake for us this morning, is that each of us is invited uh, to pick one of two paths to either receive the welcome and the embrace of Jesus and all that that means for us, or to choose the way of hard hearts, the hardness of hearts, and to miss out on what God wants to do with us.
1: It's a very serious choice, it's life it and
0: death. And we see this illustrated for us in all three of these episodes. Okay, here we go. So, first one is the fasting issue, starting in verse 18, chapter 218. Uh, In the Old Testament, there's only one uh, required fast day. And that's the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And the idea is, Israel fasts uh, as part of recognizing the sin of the the nation and repenting together as part of a lot of sort of symbols and actions through which God is going to forgive all the people. And so you have this one fast day. And uh, it's important, but it doesn't sort of end with fasting, it ends with God's forgiveness and grace and life and joy. Over time, uh, the Pharisees and others have really added to the whole kind of fasting legislation as it were. And by Jesus' time, the Pharisees fasted every Monday and Thursday, uh, religiously, like quite honestly, religiously. Uh, And their fasting was about mourning the sin in Israel, mourning, where where. where country is, where they've got... Um, it's not all terrible, but what happens when Jesus arrives, his presence changes everything. And so, they come to Jesus saying, uh, look it, we fast, John's disciples fast, I don't quite know what John's disciples are fasting, it might be as part of their kind of mode of repentance as they're uh, waiting for the Messiah and they're embracing Jesus along the way.
1: But the Pharisees are saying, look, we fast,
0: Jesus, you don't fast. You seem to not take our religious observances very seriously, Jesus. Uh, we don't like that. Come on, Jesus. Get you know? What are you doing? And Jesus gives uh, three short parables as to why he's not fasting. Okay? We're going to go through these quickly. The first one, I'm going to spend a little more time. But it's really important that we catch this. Look at verse 19. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Uh, I had a wedding this weekend yesterday. so was love doing weddings. It's fantastic, right? It's a great sort of celebration. It's a lot of fun. Especially if you know the couple, it's even better. And uh, I always used to joke when I was younger, which is kind of a hilarious self-philic promise in some ways, but I used to say, when my cousin especially got married, I said, I don't want to be on one side or the other. I just want to be in the middle. It turned out, at their wedding, I wasn't, but later on, I'm in the middle, I like, get the best spot, right? You get to see the bride come in I get to see the groom cry, it's brilliant. Yeah. And uh, it's great, it's great, I love weddings. Uh, it's, it's, it's all about celebration in many ways. Serious commitment, right? Bowing, like for life, serious stuff, but then celebration. And uh, wedding receptions that don't do celebration, right? You've missed the whole point. You know, like imagine getting to the reception And they said, uh, so there's no food, Uh, there's nothing to drink at all, nothing, and uh, no music whatsoever, Uh, in fact there's no tables to even sit at, what we're going to get you to do is sit individually in chairs facing away from each other, (laughs) and you have to think about how bad you've been, just mourn how terrible you've been, and and, and just be really sad about it, think about your past mistakes, go sit in a corner, that's going to be... That's the reception. Uh, it was really, really introspective, really, really serious. It would be nonsense, right? It was terrible. The worst wedding ever. Weddings are about celebrating life. And in ancient times, uh, the couple wouldn't go on honeymoon. They basically host a big community barbecue for a week. Which is really exciting. You know, someone's getting married. It's like big, big feast time, right? family, and it's, it's really exciting. So what does Jesus mean by bringing this up? He's basically saying, look, we're not fasting for a very, very important reason. Because something's happened. Something's happened. We're no longer preparing for God to come. Because God has arrived. He's here. The bridegroom's here. Because at the center of the wedding celebration is, what? Well, the bridegroom. The bride, right? That's who we're celebrating. That's who we're excited about. Celebrates someone. Celebrates two people. But it's all for someone. And it's all about the joy that we find in this temple, right? That's part of what we're celebrating. And Jesus is comparing the joy of the wedding celebration
1: to the joy his
0: disciples are experiencing in his presence. So to fast in the presence of the groom, of the bridegroom, to fast in the middle of the wedding celebration would be unthinkable to do that. Because when the wedding starts, it's this great time, right? music, and joy, and- Laughter, festivity, and all that. things we talked about. So the disciples aren't mourning Israel's sin anymore because the time for mourning has passed. That's what Jesus is saying. God has come and is bringing his his life and his forgiveness and his laughter and his love. And I think this is a wedding. It's It's a wedding. I'm here with you. God has come. This is Isaiah 40, verse 3. We talked about the first sermon on Mark. Uh, The one you've been waiting for is here. We're not in fasting mode. We're in celebration mode. That's what Jesus is saying. Is Jesus against fasting? No,
1: not at all. Because later on he's going to say, look, there'll be
0: time to fast when the bridegroom is gone, which is likely the first reference to crucifixion. Uh, There's going to come a time where I'm not going to be with you it's going to be difficult. There'll be time for fasting. Is Jesus saying that you can't be sad? You know, there's... There's no room for mourning or grief in the Christian life. Of course not, Of course not. Folks, Jesus' presence in our lives doesn't mean you end up living in a fallen world. Not yet. We still live in a fallen world. There's still grief and there's still tragedy. Uh, We can be sad about the pain of life, but we also have the joy of knowing that Jesus is with us in the midst of the pain Death and the grief that we experience. So it's changed. Uh, My pastor back in Vancouver, Eric, put it this way: He said, "The tenor of our life as Christians is celebration. We're at the table with Jesus when we don't deserve to be there. At the table with Jesus, we don't deserve to be there." And folks, this this picture of the wedding celebration that Jesus is, is evoking for us. This is the picture, all through the Bible, of what it means to, to come into God's presence, uh, to, to be with God. So if you go back to, say, Exodus 24, Moses and the elders go up on Mount Sinai, and what, what, do, we, what do we read happens? They eat and drink with God. Right? This is, that's, a, that's the high point, is to eat with God. This is what it's about, is to be in communion with Him. Of course, when you eat with someone, uh, it's very relational, isn't it? The table together. This is why having yourself on the table is just the worst idea ever, right? Because it's when you're sitting across from each other. Only human beings do this. Animals don't do this,
1: right? They just kind of look into their
0: food and burn, right. But, but we have our food in front of us, and then we look at each other, right? We're the only ones that have meals. We don't just eat; we have meals. God wants to have a meal with us, and of course, that's that's the thing that Jesus ordained for the church to do—to remember Him by, right? His communion. The meal. Do this in remembrance of me. If you want to receive my grace and experience my love? One way to remember this, to enact it, to live it out, is come to this table. And of course, the image of Revelation at the very end is what it's the wedding supper of the Lamb. Right? It's the marriage of, of Jesus to the Church. And so Jesus is evoking all of those things. Uh, the wedding started. The bridegroom has come. We are in feasting, we're in feasting. We're in celebration. We're not fasting. So, folks, the presence of Jesus, what does it do? It brings life. It brings joy. It changes everything. It really does. It's not fast time, says Jesus. It's not time to mourn. It's time to celebrate because God has come. Like I said, it's like there's no room for mourning. Uh, but Jesus is bringing home for them with this issue of fasting. Things have changed. God has arrived on all of us. So, secondly, more quickly, he talks about the wine uh, and the wineskins.
1: Right? This is verse 21. No one sews a
0: piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. Uh, if he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worst is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If it does, the wine bursts the skins, the wines destroyed, so are the skins. New wines for fresh wineskins. He's after the same sort of thing, folks. He's basically saying, don't try and smuggle in an old way of life when God is offering you a new way of life. You can't hold on to some of the old ways of living when you think Jesus and the new wine the Spirit of God it'll it'll burst your old crusty used-up wine skins. It's, it's kind of this weird image, but that's that's where He goes. The thing that God has come to do is completely new, and uh, the the oral tradition of the Pharisees can't contain it. The Pharisees sort of legislated, fasted, can't contain it. Folks, God's come to live with us and heal our world. And Jesus is saying this is the new chapter in human history. Folks, it's also a picture of our sin. Jesus is not like a patch that you can just sort of throw on uh, the old genes of your life, for instance. You know, just kind of throw him on, the, I'm just kind of add Jesus into my life here and there as I wish, you know, and just kind of use him for my own purposes, just of get a little bit of Jesus, you know, just in that sort of thing. That doesn't work that way because Jesus will burst apart your old life by His mercy and His grace, and that's the picture here for us. He'll confront your sin books. He'll confront your hard heart. And he calls us to, to what? To repentance. And to do birth in end, right? As C.S. Lewis would say, yeah, uh, he's not a dame lion. You know, he's come to do business. And come do the sin of evil in our hearts. Uh, our ECOP president, Wes Mills, spoke about this passage the uh, White at our, our biennial conference back in May. May? Yeah, this year. Back in May. And uh, he, he had this great, these great pictures of, of the old wineskins. and it's like maybe a Robin, I don't remember, but it, it, it was like a giant like sheep's stomach or something, wasn't it? Or just the whole inside, like cleaned up. It's just like this big bladder thing, and uh, it's all kind of cleaned up it's like this big sack, and they prepare it and, and stuff, and fill it with the grape juice, and it ferments there. He's like the big, big wine skin. It's quite, like, kind of cool. And as the fermentation occurs, like the liquid—this is what I understand. I'm not a humanist, so I don't really know what's happening.
1: But something happens where the, the grape
0: juice expands, or whatever's happening in the fermentation process. And the wine skin needs to be like supple and flexible to hold the new wine as it's fermenting, or else the whole thing, as you just said, the whole thing just bursts. And you you wreck the wine and wreck the wine skin, and all your good work is is wasted. And then when you when you've got your wine ready, you kind of take it out and off it goes, and then uh, your wine gets used up, and it sits out in the sun, and it gets all dried out and crusty, and that's what Jesus is referring to here. So if you take your old, crusty wine skin, it's not supple anymore, it's not flexible anymore, you have that old thing, and then you go to try again, you go put in put in your grape juice to so get the wine going. As the fermentation process occurs, in an old, used wine will just burst the thing apart. right? Because it's not supple anymore, it's not Flexible, it's not able to be uh, kind of moved by the wine itself. And Wes's great point was this: he says, this is too often the picture of the state of our hearts and the state of our churches. It's far too often God will do something in our lives or do something in our churches, and it's fantastic. It's like that new wine, and, and it, it gets used, right? It pours out. people come to faith, it's brilliant, and it's like revival, and it's fantastic, and all this. Um, but the danger is, uh, God will begin that work us. But over time, we can let our hearts uh, become sort of dried out and crusty and unusable. And the brilliant thing, which was Wesley's suggestion, was you can actually restore old wineskins. And you kind of yeah. got to get in there and like re-wash it and stuff and get it all kind of good to go again. And you got to kind of work at it. Uh, but you can make it ready for wine. You can make it ready to be usable again. And folks, in many ways, the, the hearts of the Pharisees here are like the old, kind of crusty, unusable useful right? And Jesus is inviting them, Jesus is inviting us this morning uh, to submit, to submit to God and uh, receive the wine of his Spirit. And the only way to do that, to receive his life and his joy and his gladness, is uh, to be, let our hearts be supple. To let our hearts uh, be usable, be moldable. have a hard heart, right? You have a soft heart. And let Jesus come to do Lord and us. It's this great picture. And then, of course, what's wine for? Well, it's meant to be shared, right? You know, it's kind of wise. He doesn't hold on to wine for its own sake. It's meant to be shared. It's the same picture. that God comes. In. and receives receiving salvation. His forgiveness in his life. And our hearts are, are supple and ready to receive that. But it's not just for us, right? It's meant to be shared. and to be given away. And as that process happens, the danger is we, we kind of sit on our laurels and we let our hearts get old and crusty and hard, like the Pharisees and Jesus saying, oh, let your, "No, let your heart stay supple and movable as the Spirit comes to do His work. Does so that make sense? So the question is well, what's the state of your heart? What's the state of your heart? Is it, is, is, is it usable? Does God see your heart and say, Yeah, I can use that? I can use that like they're, they're flexible. They're willing to be obedient and responsive or, or are you are kind of hard and crusty? You know, kind of kind of unusable. You know, you need to get kind of smoothed out again as so Lord. And uh, you're all kind of creepy, I don't know. Uh, whatever it is. You see the difference, right? One is a life that's obedient and responsive and usable to God, and the other is a life that, that doesn't work. And and Jesus says if you try to pour in the wine to the old wines, so the whole thing just bursts apart. And so you need to uh, submit to the hand of God him sort of re-moisturize your hearts. So that's the first scene. The bridegroom's here, Jesus has come, right? We're not fasting, it's wedding time, celebration. it's celebration. Fantastic. Are you ready to come and join in? That's the invitation, right? Are you ready to come to the table and be with Jesus? Is your heart open to let him do that work in us? Or is your heart like mold? old used wine, sing, all inflexible, you know, ah no so good. right? That's, that's, that's the thing. That's the, first, that's the first call. And it's an invitation to the joy of God. Right? The joy of God. And saying, well, where's your heart? At? Says Jesus. We're not just fasting and fasting sick anymore. It's God's come. Okay, that's the first second scene. Jesus and his friends are walking out the field. Verse 23 to 28. They're out walking and they're hungry. And so they grab some of the grain, they pluck the heads green and they start chewing on it. Right? Of a snap. The Pharisees see this and get really angry. I don't know how on earth the Pharisees catch them doing this. I just imagine, right? And the snaps are going off. Or they're like, is there little Pharisee spies, like, in the grass? You know, they're like, whoa, hey, maybe you did something wrong. They're those little Pharisee police, and they're just kind of, like, kind of make little trails through the field. You know? I don't know. I don't know how they do that. But anyway, they're very upset about it. They're going kind to of pop out right? <laughs> and uh, they're upset because it's Sabbath. Right. Sabbath so is a big deal in the scriptures. Right? Take a day off, uh, once a week, to rest and rejuvenate. And, and why? Because it demonstrates a radical dependence on God to provide for you. Right? And to trust in him to do it. He did it. And it's a pretty good idea. And God says, well, here's a good idea for you to do. probably a good idea to try to do it. You know? uh, but it's a, it's a healthy biblical Even for us today. In fact, it's the most broken out of the Ten Commandments by Christians. Uh, for what it's worth, and I'm a I'm I I'm in my case. Um, but the Jewish folks take it very seriously. That. God invented it. God takes it. Everybody gets a day off. The rich people and the slave people, and even your animals get a day off. You just kind of leave messy over there. You know, some fresh whatever. So, you know, there you go, mess Just Have your day off, right? Um, so Sabbath, given Ten commandments, right? By the time this comes around, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers and whatnot had added about six hundred rules to what Sabbath he meant. Well, 600 rules. And, and, and among them is you couldn't lean ahead of grain. And this is the problem, folks. In trying to define what counted as work and what counted as Sabbath, the Pharisees had, had pushed the thing further than God had intended for it to be. And so rather than it being sort of this gift of rest, it became this burden. It's like burden in the world. Here's the danger Is that we can be so committed to a particular method of doing something? Method of prayer, method of church, method of worship, or something, we actually miss God. We're so attached to a way of doing something, we miss God in the process. Um, Both spiritual practices like fasting and Sabbath keeping and whatnot, they're never meant to be an end in themselves, they're always meant to just get us reconnected with God. And if we get caught up in just doing the practice of miss God, uh, we've become like Pharisees. So the, the problem isn't get rid of the practice. The problem is let your heart be... <laughs> Don't be an old-crossing wineskin, right? Let your heart be supple. And as you engage in prayer and Scripture the of and Sabbath and hospitality, all the rest of fasting, all the rest of those things, uh, you can open more open to that God, how do His work in your life. Does so that make sense? The, the wrong thing would be to say, therefore fasting and Sabbath and prayer are all terrible because... Things go sideways. That's like saying marriage is terrible because there's so divorce, so this doesn't make any sense, right? Or food's terrible because people can misuse it. But no, that's not the point. Just because thing can get abused doesn't mean there isn't a good use for it. And so that's the whole throw the baby out of that one issue. So Jesus uh, confronts their sabbath issues as they pop up. Right. <laughs> so the Pharisees kept the Sabbath, they did the stuff they missed out on God in the which is really like scary, right? They need up because they have hard hearts. Folks, oh, so we can go about doing churchy things and be very busy for Jesus and um, slot a heart of stone. And Jesus responds to this by like, talking about King David. And it's a bit of a shock, isn't it? Look, look at what he says. Verse 24 Pharisees are saying to him, Look, why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Right, according to our staff. You know. And Jesus basically says, Wow, have you read the Bible? <laughs> like, have you never read what David did? It's kind of hilarious. When he was in need, and was hungry, he and those who were with him. <laughs> My pastor Eric made the same point. It's just so good. He actually read He <laughs> And uh, he doesn't even deal with that. He basically said, uh, "David did this, and if David can do it. I can do it too." <laughs> which, which, what is he implying then? <laughs> I'm the king. I'm the king, and I can I can over, I can usurp your sort of traditions and whatnot because I'm king. Uh, It's quite funny. I have the authority to override your practice that like you built around us and rescue it. And verse 28 is sort of like the, the mic drop, right? Jesus says, "The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? This is meant to be a gift of God, not a burden for him. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the King. You've messed this up. Here I go anyway. <laughs> Basically, what he says, right? And that's the end of the conversation. We get we get nothing further. Pharisees don't say anything. <laughs> just kind of slip back into the gray. Like, oh, okay. And off he goes. Now, Jesus, you radically restore Sabbath. Lord is Lord of the Sabbath. Right? Back to, back to discovering God's rest and healing in life and, and not sort of managing a hundred little tiny details of what this is supposed to be. <coughs> and the Pharisees are very upset with this. Uh, Jesus isn't abolishing fasting or something. Right? He's not doing that. He's sort of rescuing them. Getting, getting the practices and getting the, the people back on track with God. Again. Folks, God's not after a, a cold, legalistic kind of thing. You can probably get that sense as you read this. Right? God isn't after those things for their own sake. God's after a, a relationship with you. And it's meant to be joyful and life-giving. Good, good, good. So where are we? The first scene is the fasting to bacon. And Jesus basically says, we're not in morning mode, we're in celebration mode. God is with us. It's like the bridegroom at the wedding, right? And uh, God invites us into that life to live, a joyful life. And remember that picture of the wine scenes, right? Being open uh, to the moving of the spirit, repenting the of sin, of the, all of that sort of embedding of That's the invitation for us in that verse. second scene, he confronts their, their skewed idea of Sabbath evening, uh, where they turn it into a burden. And again, Jesus' presence changes everything, right? Because he's there. We're no longer in mourning pastime. We're in uh, rest and celebration like life, the life of God, the joy of the Pharisees, with their hard hearts, don't see any of that. They just don't see any of it. So much so that uh, by the end of the passage, as we've said, uh, they just want to kill Jesus. So we head into this next chapter with that in mind. Things are, we're following that re, that trajectory of rejection. They're so attached, folks, to, to their way of life, just like we are quite often. They can't see that what God has on offer is so much. And I wonder in our own lives that there's times where uh, this is a Nick worship saying. He you loves know, to say this. Uh, Sometimes we, we settle for good when we get a great. Sometimes our lives are good, but what God wants is great. God has something better for us. Um, or maybe it's awkward but it's Just sort of blah, you know. What God has is the life and joy and salvation of Jesus. There's nothing like it for us. There's nothing like it. And once Jesus is in our lives live and work, sort of setting things right as a word. Uh, but the rest of life just starts to make way more sense because it's all about him. Uh, so family, and future, and all those sorts of worries and concerns suddenly make more sense. in like who he is and trusting him, it's a whole yeah. kind of joyful living that comes out of that. I, I met a guy on Tuesday. His house we went the week I before. I it was Tuesday this week, and he was saying, "You know, we really don't, we don't know much time we have, right?" He was reminded of this. Does feel just don't know how long ago we just don't know how much time we have. Uh, so what we have today, we have today. This isn't years. Uh, so let's live out the Jesus' way today—the life and joy of God, right here right now. So we have those two paths: the the celebration and rest of Jesus versus the kind of cold, self-righteous apathy. Thinking you're religious, thinking you're okay, but you completely miss out on God. Right? That's the Pharisees. It's scary. It's scary that that's the option. And Mark is calling us to, to consider which path do you want? Right? Which path do you want? Do you want to follow Jesus' path, or are you kind of on the not too sure? Or are you want, like, that's Pharisees, right? I think I'm pretty good, but really, I'm totally missing what God wants to do. You know? Or are you just somewhere else entirely? <laughs> Folks, the invitation is to come to Jesus and to embrace his life and his joy. And his Okay, last scene, scene three. Uh, the Pharisees are hoping Jesus will heal on the Sabbath so they can corner him. That's how bad this has gotten. It's a pretty brutal, eh? That'd be like someone showing up here to see what we do in a church service so they could get mad at us. <laughs> or it's like, we heard Nick was going to preach from the Gospel of Mark, and uh, as soon as he does, we're going and take him out. <laughs> it's like, no, can't do that. Jesus knows this, that he intentionally provokes the situation. is not interesting. They're there in the synagogue, and Jesus purposely calls up this guy to the withered hand here, Right? Stand up. All right, withered hand. hand. And, and the withered hand is like death is entering the hand. Whatever that means. Death is, death is death. And Jesus basically says, let me stand up. And then he turns to the Pharisees and says, okay, well, what's right to do on the Sabbath then? You who say you know do you do life giving good things or do you let death do its thing? Which is it? What do you do? What's, what do you do? Life or death? What's God actually about? And it's ironic, right? They despise Jesus for doing good on the Sabbath and they're willing to and kill him on the Sabbath. Right? What's the right thing to do? And he wants them to see just how far they've gone, how far they are from God's heart. And what do they say? What's the right thing to do? They can't answer. Is God for good or evil? They can't answer. Their hearts are so hard for us. And all this happens in the synagogue, right? This is the place where God's Word is taught. And that's the scary thing. You can be in church, involved in church, and miss Jesus. It's the hearts of our hearts. We close ourselves off of relationship with God and not recognize it. That's scary, isn't it? That's scary. So Jesus heals the man, and he brings um, life uh, to the man's hand. He fulfills Sabbath by bringing rest and life to this man in his hand. Uh, and, and what do the Pharisees see? They see it as a threat, right? They want to kill him. We're three chapters, we're less than three, we're just over, we're just finished two chapters, we're a little bit into the third chapter, already we're trying to go right? down.
1: This, this is the
0: response of the human heart to the Savior. Right. This is humanity we've already rejected so quickly. Alright, that's the three scenes. Uh, quickly now, what are the implications for us this morning, this week for our lives? Jesus shows us that life in him is a celebration. That's where we ended with me and the task of doing You can welcome to the table, right? That first scene of fasting, you're welcomed. It's like a wedding. It's a celebration of time. Scene two of the Sabbath The rest of God, not only the joy and life of God, but the rest of God. And the third scene, uh, the healing, the reversal of death for you. It's almost pre-resurrection, right? That's what God's going to do for all of us at the end of it all. He wants to reverse death, not just in your head, but in your whole body. And uh, the Pharisees, by contrast, if Jesus shows the wealth and the rest of the life of God, that's one path that you can take. The Pharisees show the opposite. Right? rather than embracing the joy of God they're choosing their mournful fasting right? I'm just a terrible person it's all terrible but sit in the corner of the way celebration ouch, right? that's what they did. rather than embracing God's rest they're choosing their cold self-righteousness and rather than embracing the life of God the healing of God they choose death rather than, rather than picking up on Jesus' passion. All they, all they see us, we gotta listen. Right? How far how far are their hearts from God's own. And here's the irony, the Pharisees uh the Pharisees wanted the Messiah to come. They're like a hardcore religious movement, like, let's get God come, let's get the Messiah to come. We'll do all the stuff, we'll pray and we'll fast, we'll do all the stuff, and we'll have a big revival and say stuff, we'll do, do, do do we'll jump off on our foot, you know, we'll get God to show up and we'll be fantastic. And they do all the stuff. They should have been the first people to embrace God, to embrace Jesus. They should have been. When Jesus did arrive, when the Messiah did come, when God Himself showed up. They miss Him, and they don't just miss Him; they reject Him. They don't just reject Him; they try to kill Him so no one else can get it. Those right? our hard hearts are simply Our hearts can not only rob us of joy, but they twist us into ourselves, and make us think that. It's just all about us. That, folks, that's not the way of Jesus. Uh, so, so in that first scene, that fasting scene, God's proclaiming salvation to us, And uh, our hard hearts are sin they Keep us mourning just our past to say to you instead of God's salvation. It's, it's terrible. In the second scene, the plucking the grains on the Sabbath scene, Jesus proclaimed uh, Sabbath, with God's gift of rest to humanity, but in this case, hard hearts just, just miss it, just become condemning hearts, miss out on the In that third seed of healing on the Sabbath, Jesus proclaims his grace and his compassion. Hard hearts just, just keep us ignoring the suffering. So, folks, let's let go of our hard hearts, if there is any in us, and let's embrace. The salvation life of Jesus. Right? Let's let go of our hard hearts and, and receive joy and rest of Jesus. Let's let go of the hard hearts and embrace God's work of extending his life and his healing and his kingdom to the world through Jesus. It's like, compassion So, folks, those are the two paths for us this morning. So, the trajectory of receiving Jesus and the trajectory of rejecting Jesus, which is the Pharisees' path. One is the path of supple, open hearted, receiving life and mercy. The, the others have that have that closed off hard heart. Heart that's stuck in sin.
1: Folks, this morning
0: Jesus wants to rejuvenate our hearts, he wants to cleanse you and forgive you and restore you and the holy load of sin and the life of him. So I want to leave us with this question as we as we end in prayer Uh, Are you like those wineskins, skins? Are you open to Jesus in the spirit? Are you going to close them off like the Pharisees? Let's let Jesus come in and change our hearts, amen. He's the bridegroom who wants to bring us joy. He's the Lord of the Sabbath who wants to give you rest. And he's the, uh, the healer the giver of life who's to give you death. Whether you're in a place of mourning and you need joy, or you're in a place of really bogged down and you need rest, or it feeling, that beauty into until God is not to give us the soul. And let's be open to this.